what is happening in Mogadishu does not represent an, a growing threat of uh, Al-Shabaab. It represents the fact that it has become, particularly with the Americans, the, the dramatic ratcheting up of these America air attacks. Eh? They are pushing Al-Shabaab into, they are feeling safer into Mogadishu because Mogadishu is the one thing the Americans are not going to come and bomb. I am Deacon Zulewe and this is the third episode of my interview with Charles Onyango Obo about the East African community as it marks its 20th anniversary this year. Do check out the first two episodes before listening to this one. We talked a little bit about Al-Shabaab in our last episode. I just wanted us to talk a little bit more about this militant group. Now you said in your article, and I quote here, as East Africa celebrates its coming of age, it will thank two most unlikely sources for helping it find its mojo, the Somali terror group Al-Shabaab and the deadly conflicts in the region. Let's start with Al-Shabaab. Why has Al-Shabaab been a factor in promoting cohesion in the region? Al-Shabaab was uh, one of its success is that particularly when it started pausing um, from let us actually go back to 1998 when you had those uh, those uh, those terror attacks on uh, the US embassy in uh, in uh, in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam this so you know it it focused attention in a very dramatic way about what was happening in the horn at that point you know uh, Sudan and uh, it was still the United Sudan and uh, Somalia so the growth or the rise of al-shabaab was actually seen as taking this or giving that threat in the north uh, a state structure particularly when the you know um so there there was a lot of fear and then of course the piracy started on the border which was a real real threat to the broader east african economy so Uganda then goes into into Somalia as the first part of uh, of of, of Amisom and it's joined I think six or so seven months later by Burundi. Now it is very interesting that that is the first time eh, that Burundi now is engaging at that level with uh, with Uganda with uh, Somalia and later on with Kenya. And then they bring with them something which a lot of people found very interesting because a lot of people don't appreciate just how much Burundi is a Kiswahili country. And uh, and the operational language of AMISOM, at least until, you you know, the Ethiopians came in, is Kiswahili. So this this whole very East African community develops amongst the armies of uh, of of Amisom, and it was really remarkable when you go there and you see just the bond between uh, you know the Swahili speaking uh, you know Amisom elements you know Uganda Kenya and uh, Burundi. And then, of course, uh, the Burundi economy then becomes very organized. I think that the you know the working in Amsom became the biggest uh, source of revenue, and you know the vehicle for creating the largest middle class. I think 
of anything or you know in post-war uh, post-civil war burundi so it's i think that it is in enabling that community in creating that brotherhood and uh, you know in bolstering this kind of you know call it the swahili state kiswahili state that amisom has done an incredible service to the you know the ese the east african countries now I- just this week, uh, we have seen, I mean, especially maybe in the, in the past couple of weeks, there's been incredible um, attacks in Somalia, in Mogadishu especially, almost every single day. So, I mean, in, in the context of, uh, you know, you've talked about how uh, the involvement of these uh, East African countries in Somalia has strengthened that cohesion. But what about the mission? What about the actual, you know, dealing with the the Al-Shabaab threat, because it seems like it's growing and it's growing to the point where uh, Mogadishu, where you would have thought that the government would have had a hold by now, is now, like I said, literally almost saying every single day there's an attack. So how do do you think Amazon is assessing that in terms of the, the actual mission? You know, one of the things is that um, yes, it's true, but 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 my own reading is, uh, and you know, um, you know, a couple of people also have uh, expressed this view, is that what is happening in uh, Mogadishu does not represent an, a growing threat of uh, Al Shabaab. It represents the fact that it has become, particularly with the Americans, the the dramatic ratcheting up of these America air attacks. Eh? They are pushing Al-Shabaab into, they are feeling safer into Mogadishu because Mogadishu is the one thing the Americans are not going to come. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so, it is, so it isn't that it isn't that they have grown a bigger threat, eh? but actually it is more a failure of, uh, you know, this Donald Trump uh, U.S. policy of, of bombing the daylights out of uh, of Shabab in the countryside. So actually, if uh, if they were f- if if they were faced with less pressure in the countryside, there would be uh, you would see fewer bombing. Then the second is that I think at a much more global level, this the you know the superpower rivalry in the Horn in which the Gulf countries have now become very. Um, embedded is an attempt to marginalize uh, Amazon and basically, you know, have the Gulf states and all those other kind of things, uh, you know, and Turkey imposing a new uh, security architecture in Somalia and basically in the Horn. And um, they, I think that it's, it's the, you know, Amazon have really taken their foot a little bit off, off the pedal. And there is a part of me which is wondering if this is not supposed to be, uh, you know, their own politics of saying, look, this thing of saying you are going to marginalize Amisom, that, you know, we should get out of Somalia, and, you know, you have the UN or uh, other Gulf, uh, you know, funded uh, security mechanism coming and take over is not going to work because it's you know to police to police uh, Mogadishu or the success that uh, um, you know Amazon brought there 
it is it's street to street. It is very visceral. It is very personal. It's and it's it's the kind of um, it's 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 the kind of peace building that I don't think the UN or any other force is willing to undertake. So I think that if we can have a correction in those calculations, we can see um, you know Shabab reversing back to the countryside and uh, basically continuing what they have been doing. Uh, what about regional conflicts? You say you talked about Al-Shabaab, uh, but what about the regional conflicts? How have regional conflicts advanced cohesion in the region? Let us take South Sudan and, uh, and uh, Sudan itself, North Sudan, so to speak, the Darfur area. In those areas, um, Rwanda was, was the lead um, you know, peacekeeping contingent. And uh, I think it basically it plays that that role now in South Sudan. Now, what is very unusual about that is that it is really the first time you have the key ingredients of a peacekeeping force in a country, of a, even as a union, coming from the neighbors and a regional bloc. I mean, where it has happened before in West Africa, it was the bloc intervening in a local uh, crisis to kick out a bad regime or something. But, but you know, this is, and, and, and you know, Rwanda, you know, um, for Rwanda to be in, uh, in uh, you know, North Sudan and now South Sudan, eh, that it is really, really very far away from its operational ambit. And um, you know, so it's it's the it allows it has allowed, and you know, Kenya Kenya was also there before it left. Uganda is in South Sudan, although probably on the opposite side of that equation, propping up the Salva key regime. So it's uh, there is it's you know a high stakes and a very different level of engagement for these countries, basically working to try and create peace um, you know in their region and without without the mess in south sudan and you know if uh, khartoum hadn't gone murdering people in you know in Darfur and all that rwanda would have stayed home kenya would not have joined that uh, you know the south the south sudan peacekeeping force all of this hugging that you keep seeing in state house pictures in kenya and all of that of uh, with Salva Kiir, that wouldn't have happened. And I think that that is giving the region itself, it's 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 giving it a reason to to act in a big way, not just little tiny states looking after their local interests. One thing that you say that I I found fascinating was that. Uh, you say that uh, you know the deployment of uh, Burundi troops uh, to Somalia had produced a larger middle class in uh, uh, in the country in Burundi uh, than in any other than any other activity in the uh, in the country for the past twenty years, and you also say that um, because of this, uh, the coup against uh, PN Kurunzinza in twenty fifteen was stalled because of that engagement. C can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, because you know the way the way, or you know, although Amisom is not paid uh, the top dollars that other UN operators, uh, you know, peacekeepers get, eh? 
it was if you are uh, serving in a, you know in a, in Amazon and you are from Burundi you get a higher pay than anyone else and in fact you get more than 10 times the pay you would if you were staying at home um, you know as uh, as a regular soldier so i remember you know uh, the last time when i was in burundi just before um, you know the coup attempt uh, against pn cruziza literally uh, you know, 90% of the medium-sized new houses were being built by people who had, you know, who had served in Amsom in one way or or, or the other. And, uh, and uh, you know, the Amisom, people who served in Amsom were, uh, became some of the most uh, eligible bachelors in, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, in Burundi. And then, and you know, and then there is a there there is a certain quirk in the way the Amazon mission is set up, because what happens is that you come with your soldiers, you know, you are supposed to get pay for your own trucks, and then you get compensated for them. So you know, the UN compensates you for use of your equipment, and it's 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 for for countries like uh, Burundi. That compensation became, um, you know, you know, the biggest source of money outside aid. But unlike aid money, there was no accountability, so it became the largest source of patronage. Basically, Kuruziza could pocket it all or decide um, who of his generals and party people he shared it with. So um, they, it, it, it's uh, the the power system in Burundi became very, very dependent on the mission and the ability for it to circulate. And they were just not willing to take a risk that you'd have a coup that could threaten that mission. And I think that, you know, uh, I said it then and I still think so now, that I think it remains on Cruz's biggest card domestically. To, to continue being engaged in Somalia. Yes, or, you know, uh, you know to continue being engaged in uh, you know in Somalia there are signs now that you know it's it's uh, you know particularly with the cutbacks and you know that are being threatened and all that may no longer be lucrative but it is and you know if you factor in the fact that he's also faced aid cuts it still remains the most important source of patronage for the regime thank you for listening in the fourth and final episode, we will look at the future of East Africa and why it's the world's most important region. If you have any comments or questions, find me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.